slum, slum, slum. Jeff and Scott host the Slumgullion. And I don't know what that word means. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the Slumgullion, America's only podcast. My name is Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott. Scott, how are you? today sir uh, i'm pretty good considering the movie i watched <laughs> yeah we'll get to that in a second but before we do i would like to throw out a a a, a very brief this concerns movies so it's okay the other night i watched malignant yes you did Yes, yes, indeed, I did, and um, since the 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 Twitter sphere is now you know all aflame over this movie, I just thought I would give you a very very brief review for those of you who are interested. Um, if you know if you don't know anything about the movie Malignant, keep it that way. Do not learn anything. Much like we said on Serenity. Go into Malignant knowing next to nothing. Ignore, you know, just mute the word until you see the film. And one of two things is either is going to happen. You are either going to love it and be into it and think this is fucking awesome. Or you're going to go, what the fuck did I just watch? There doesn't seem to be any sort of um, middle ground on this film. I like watching those anyway. But for once, I can honestly say I fucking dug Malignant. I thought it was an absolute blast. I get why people hate it. I completely get why people hate it. I just completely fucking disagree with them. The last, like, act three of this movie is just so mind-numbingly amazing and cool. It made me giggle. I was, I, to, to quote one of my favorite lines from when I played uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, I was as giddy as a schoolgirl watching the last half hour of this movie. <laughs> okay. Yes, folks. So now, eventually, I, I'm pretty sure I have conned Scott into, into checking it out. So we may get into a more in-depth a little later on after some more people have seen it. I just don't want to go in. I don't want to go into it now because it's still relatively fresh. Don't learn things. Just watch the movie. I'm prepared to either love or hate. Yeah, when we did uh, Serenity, not not the Joss Whedon version, but the Matthew McConaughey and, uh, and Hathaway version, we did get very spoilery with it. But by that point, even though it was still in theaters, it was clearly dying. It was not finding its audience. It was lucky we watched it. Yeah, so, true. <laughs> but Malignant, I hear, is doing pretty well, at least in streaming. The, the people who love it are absolutely loving it. And this is what I love more than anything else, which is an honest and passionate conflict of views bipartisanship and consensus in the arts is deadly dull to me so if there's a subject where we can get into it and debate that strongly appeals to me so i'm definitely going to make time to watch it and yes i was already told that i know nothing about horror because i like the movie well i mean that's true that you of all the people i know probably know the least about horror I'm telling you, it's like the 30-year-olds telling me I'm not a true Star Wars fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where were you, man, on opening night when for The Phantom Menace? Well, sadly, I was I was in a theater, 
excited because what? I had no idea. Yes. Yeah, I had no idea what was coming my way. So uh, shut up, Junior. <laughs> so yes, folks, please. I mean, this is this is a chance to see something that you have definitely not seen before. I mean, you can as you're watching the film, you can go, okay, that kind of fits like that. That kind of th-. you can see his influences, but what James Wan has made is just something. So batshit crazy, and I thoroughly love the fact that after he made, you know, a billion dollars with Aquaman, the man can make any movie that he wanted to make, and what did he want to make? A batshit balls-to-the-wall old-school horror flick, and that just made me happy. Yeah, this is what he cashed his political capital in for. It's interesting when you see somebody who, you know, he reached that point where he sold out. He's, you know, he belongs to the big studios now. He sold out only to go back to the ghetto again. (laughs) <laughs> which which is very cool, I thought. I like indie directors who use the studios as um, a kind of an NEA funding source. I think Wendy Wasserstein, the playwright who used to do rewrites for screenplays, said it was sort of like, it's like a MacArthur Genius Grant, but from people who aren't very smart. <laughs> oh, and I just wanted to let you know, I am also taking the film fan's message to heart. And I got myself a 1960s black and white TV that I am going to watch Dune on. What? Bad Wait. joke. Sorry. Oh, come on. <laughs> I all, don't you've, get heard, it. you've heard all. You've heard all of the pretentious bullshit surrounding Dune, haven't you? No, I've avoided that assiduously. I don't want to get dragged oh. into that at all. Oh. Okay, and that joke made no sense whatsoever. Yeah, pretty much all of the reviews for Dune have been saying it is a... All of the cineasts are coming out and saying, this has revolutionized filmmaking, blah, 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 this. And everybody's saying, if you don't see Dune on the big screen, don't fucking go see it. Go big or go home. And my resp- and that's why I made it. I'm buying an old fucking black and white TV, and I'm going to watch it on black and white TV. Come piss me off. Better yet, I'll watch it on my phone. I want somebody to come yell at me for not being a true film fan. Fuck you, people. God, as much as I love movies, I hate film fans. <laughs> yeah. If I could figure out a way to play it on my sister's Apple Watch, I think I would borrow it for that purpose. It's, um... fucking Yeah, it's... <sighs> You know, it's like anything else that people love, whether it's food, it's music, a girlfriend or boyfriend who is obviously ill-suited for them and will only bring pain and misery into their life. Those are all things you don't want to talk about with people because it's just, it's equally unpleasant no matter what the underlying subject is. But I don't want to get in any of those discussions. So uh, film fans, love your films, love your films or hate your films. What are, I mean, everyone gets off, everyone's kink is different and yeah. and... I don't want to criticize, and I'm not going to kink shame anybody. Go ahead and do it, but leave me out of it. It's like I don't mind the people who are obsessively in love with or obsessively in hate with a director, a film, a genre, whatever. That's fine. Get your kicks however you want. But I don't like the ones who are also exhibitionists. They can't get off on hating or loving unless somebody else is watching. Yep. I just don't want to be part of your little rear window thing. I, 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 I don't understand that at all myself, but it is what it is. Oh, and speaking of hating, mm-hmm. we watched a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yep, we do. Well, okay, maybe movie is a um, too strong a word. Um, today's unknown movie challenge was truly an unknown movie. I had no idea this was a thing when I found it. I'd never heard of it in my life. 
Okay, you as well. And today's unknown movie challenge is the 1971 English-German concoction, The Vampire Happening, directed by a Freddie Francis, who anyone who knows their hammer knows the name Freddie. Freddie Francis was the director of Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. The Deadly Bees, which fans of Mystery Science Theater 3000 will know, as that was riffed on the show, and Trog. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Trog. And he really brought every ounce of skill he demonstrated in Trog to this film. (laughs) Okay. Um, Real fast, before we actually get into the movie, I found an absolutely wonderful quote from Freddie Francis about this film. Oh, do tell. You ready for this? Okay. So this is an exact quote from Freddie Francis. I was aware from the start of the difficulties in shooting a horror parody. I really believed that I was working with normal people in the movie industry and thought I could have made a decent film. With time, I became aware that the producer was an imbecile who treated the project like a home movie. He wanted to do the casting, make cameos in the film, and wanted his wife as an actress. It was a disaster, which I can't say anything serious about. I I think he's building it up a little bit too much. He's really raising people's expectations about how good this is going to be, and I I think that's a mistake. That, he should have. Yeah. yeah, you're overpromising and underdelivering, Freddie. Yeah, I, I went back and forth on whether this was supposed to be funny, and then I realized when I did a little bit of research that it's a West German film. So, it's German funny. It's the kind of thing that Germans would think possibly was funny. Yep, and the rest of us would think and it was written, and it was written by two Germans, so it was actually the German dudes who wrote it. So, right, it's so it's it's reeking of that famous German sense of humor. I mean, you know how they they say Americans don't get British comedy. It's a, it's a gross overgeneralization, but there are elements of it that are, are true because like our languages differ in in subtle but crucial ways. So does the American and, and the British sense of humor. In British movies, the sense of humor can be somewhat overly subtle or obscure or or rely more on irony than Americans are used to. Germans, their idea of humor is not that dissimilar from their idea of war crimes. (laughs) On on the plus side, the the plot is not that difficult to describe. Let's, Let's not go there yet. Let's not go there yet because... Yeah, I, there's a few things I want to get into before we get into how pointless the plot is. So, Oh, so you, there are things you want to get into before we get into it. Okay, so get into what you want to get into before yeah. we get into it. Now, it's basically the parent trap with tits. I'm convinced that's how this film was pitched. It's the parent trap, but they'll get topless. And if that was their intention, they probably could have, you know, I mean, obviously they aged everybody up. I mean, one of the characters who's new to lie is somebody's great-grandma. So I, th- I think we're on firm legal ground here, but it's it, it was an interesting choice for a movie. You remember that scene in Taxi Driver where Travis Bickle takes Sybil Shepherd to a porno theater and they watch like yes. a Danish or a Swedish porno because of because that was legal back then? This film is is very similar to Taxi Driver in one respect. That one scene, because we open with various Europeans on an airliner watching an in-flight porn movie. The audience for this includes a bald, middle-aged businessman type who sucks on a cigar and looks oddly proud as the actors bang on screen like he was watching his his kid convincingly play a ham in the school play. Um, <laughs> there was the mother and her son. Mommy, my first a blue movie. 
Exactly. Exactly. So excited about it. Although he's wearing eyeglasses roughly as thick as architectural glass brick. So I'm not sure how much he's getting out of it. And finally, we, there's the porn actress herself who's wearing sunglasses and watching herself scratch her co-star's back. Then a stereotypically gay airline steward brings oh, her a cocktail God, yeah. and she doesn't take her eyes off the screen. She, she gropes for it, leaving three gruesome lacerations on the back of his hand from her nails, I guess. Prompting don't the, do that. Prompting the steward to remark, oh, don't do that. As I, as I said, it's less of a performance and more of a hate crime. And then he shows up again later. Well, we'll get we'll get to that because that was really a sublime moment. But the plane lands and <laughs> and there's a superimposed title that says Transylvania 1971. Which I thought that was the actual name of the film. I thought we'd gotten some weird Amazon Prime fuck up thing. Yeah, because I, I don't remember the title appearing anywhere. Here's something I found interesting, because in the terminal, we follow the actress, who turns out to be our main character, and she goes outside to ground transportation, and we hear the PA say, Transylvanian Airlines announces a 15-minute delay for flight 814 to Loris Lobovia, which is a throwaway gag that I, I'm willing to guarantee was not in the original script, but tossed in there for the American dub, since Loris Lobovia was a recurring bit from the Little Abner comic strip. Okay. Now, I did not know that. They were throwing everything but the kitchen sink, trying to get a laugh out of this thing. However, okay. I get the impression at this point, and this is early on, that the movie realizes it's already made a terrible first impression and tries to backtrack by giving the stereotypical screaming steward a nice boyfriend with a cool car who picks him up from the white zone. I then it was a, the red zone. Don't give me a red zone shit. <laughs> Thank you. A garage mechanic asks the porn actress for her autograph, and, and this is when we learn that she's Betty Williams. <laughs> Betty Williams is the, the most wholesome possible name for a porn actress. But okay, Betty Williams, who's played by Pia Dedgermark, a Swedish actress, who's probably best known for playing the doomed heroine in 1967's Elvira Madigan. By the way, that uh, Pia, that is actually the wife of the, the, the guy who produced the vampire hat. Oh, that's... That's the guy that he uh, he wanted his wife to be in. He made this film, he wanted to make this film specifically for his wife. This was the, I'm going to make something for my wife to do, and that's what he did. Well, that explains why she delivers a tour de force performance in a double role, so that, I guess if he's bankrolling the movie, he wants her on camera every single second, and that's almost what happens, because she's almost. playing two characters, yeah. Oh, and then the credits. No, no, there are credits. We do see vampire happening because the credits start after after he asks for her autograph and they are bedecked with goofy cartoon bats. Goofy um, cartoon. It kind of reminded me. This is going to sound bad. It just reminded me just because I, 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 I ripped the film. Reminded me of the opening of Spider Baby. Uh, just for the cartoonishness of it. Right. I mean, there were static images of bats, but they were all over the place. And it, and it constantly made me feel like we were this close to breaking out into Saul Bass, Pink Panther animated credit sequence. Okay. That, I can do that, it. I buy it. I buy it. That, that doesn't happen. Instead, it's just drawings of stupid looking bats. So it winds up feeling more like uh, like like a local basic cable TV commercial for the Halloween store that took over the abandoned fabric barn at the mall. And since we're on the credits... I just have to say, the actor who played Dracula, because Dracula is in this film briefly, but the actor who plays Dracula has the greatest film name ever. Dracula is played. Yep, Dracula is played by Ferdy Main. Ferdy Main, 
He played General Rosemeyer in Where Eagles Dare. Wasn't he actually in the film this is sort of trying to be? Wasn't he in Fearless Vampire Killers? Yes, he was in the film This Is Ripping Off. He was in The Fearless Vampire Killers. He was in Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. Oh, um, yeah, baby. Okay. He was in Conan the Destroyer. He played the leader. Okay. I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff. I just love the name Birdie. Birdie, yeah. I, I, Birdie's I, a great name. I, I, I disagree with you, but I, I, I respect your need to believe that. <laughs> yeah, so it's finally. It's a want. Anyway, finally. <laughs> Finally, a, yeah, a familiar actor shows up because I, I think everyone else is just people who probably were making their living in uh, West German TV series at the time. Anyway, so Pia, I mean, Betty, Betty Williams, drives to a castle in Transylvania and leaves her car parked in the middle of the drawbridge like an entitled dick. And she wanders around and terrorizes the caretaker, Joseph, when she proves, using geometric logic, that she knows his name. So apparently, <laughs> he was not expecting that. Apparently, the castle was owned by her uncle, the Baron, who died, I think. She never met him. The dubbing is a little muddy here, but Joseph prepares the royal suite and addresses her as Baroness. So I guess the previous inhabitant is dead, or undead, or uncola. I don't really know. It was... Kind of confusing, but the first actual laugh I got at this movie is when they go into the Royal Suite and great-grandma's nude, well, topless portrait hangs over the bed. Grandma, who is a dead ringer for Betty, was an Italian witch, and she spent the next few years devouring men. They make a big point about her being a man-devourer until she herself was bitten by a vampire who, apparently bored with flapping around like a bat, spiced up his shape-shifting by changing into a rabid fox. This is the first movie where the vampire punctures in the neck is in every single case attributed to a rabid fox. So the villagers got their story straight, but they didn't spend a lot of time on it. Like, uh, what could it be? I don't know. What could puncture your neck? I don't know. A fox? Why would a fox do that? Well, maybe it was rabid. Great. Perfect. Media jerked. I actually did laugh once in the film, too. And it was did roughly you? in the same scene. Roughly oh, in the okay. same scene. Not with the breast, although I was like, oh, okay. Um, we know we're going to be seeing them in real life soon. At least we know now what they look like when they're painted. When, what was his name? Frederick or Gustav or Ted? What was his name? Ted. Jo Joseph. Joseph. That's right. Okay. So when Joe is giving the, uh, the, the, the tour and, you know, most of it, she's sitting there like, coming across as just a pretentious little Hollywood starlet bitch. She's getting the grand tour. And all of a sudden we go, and here, Baroness, is the torture dungeon. And then yes. Joseph explains in graphic detail what, what the various torture devices do. And she, while walking around and looking at the torture devices starts getting off on how she would use them on various different people she fondles the wheel on the rack and meanwhile he and i'm sure this is supposed to happen in her head there's a lot of unclear stuff but he demonstrates the rack by putting a naked woman in traction while noshing on a banana yes. um this inspires betty for some reason to dress like pocahontas and torture the big gay airline steward with thumbscrews and he responds, as always, Oh, don't. don't do that. Later, Betty lies in bed listening to Transylvania's top-rated wacky morning zoo radio program, which is complete with dad puns, 
bad Bella Lugosi accents and songs like Full Moon and Empty Veins. And and I again I can't tell if this was like a joke in the German script or this was just something added by the dubbers because nothing was going on and they go, Well, look, there's a radio. Let's let's riff on that. Meanwhile, Grandma the Witch wanders half naked through a forest of Halloween store skeletons, pausing <laughs> to give each of them a high five. Then Betty has a nightmare about nuns bringing large honey-baked hams to a happening while she dresses as Prince Valiant for some reason. Then they pull the cover off the hams, revealing two blonde wigs. They pull those off, revealing two severed breasts, which are horrifying. Not because they look real at all, but because they're obviously made from peach jello pudding, which if you've ever had it, it's nasty. It's nasty. Yes, Don't it try is. It. The gay steward, who's now dressed like a 19th century Italian widow and, and sort of looks like Dr. Smith from Lost in Space playing Aunt Augusta from The Importance of Being Earnest. <laughs> He's forced to eat a nipple and he doesn't care for it. And is because of that, he is instantly hanged because nobody nixes nipples in this castle. Then Prince Betty grabs the two pudding tits and and she wakes up in her bed feeling her own pudding tits. Um, then she goes to the window and notices for the first time that there's a monastery next door where her grandmother, the witch, uh, apparently used to troll for men to devour. And I guess Betty, it's hard to tell who's who at this, but Betty, for some reason, promptly flashes the brothers with her two sisters. <laughs> and the monk she flashes who resembles a slightly more expressive Mr. Bean, is somebody, if you watch this movie, you will you will come to hate so deeply. Um, oh, dear Lord. Wait, 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 wait. I, I, I cannot agree enough with what hmm. Scott just said. This guy was bad enough before he becomes a vampire. Once he becomes a vampire... I think, I think this would sum it up. He becomes the comic relief in a German comedy. That's how funny he is. Oh, that's perfect. That's even, that's even better than my inarticulate groan. Well done. Although the inarticulate yeah. groan really did express what was going on deep in my soul. I appreciate that. That's exactly what was going on in mine. And and now and, and something else that was also going on during the tour because oh after we we, have, we can't forget that after you know she had her. Um, her nub rubbing fun with the torture, she decides that she's going to stay for a while right. and she needs to see the crypt of her ancestors. So she sees the family crypt. She sees the crypt of her great great grandmother, who was also the witch who's supposedly a vampire. And yet, even though Joe has said from the beginning she's a vampire, because when she first shows up, he thinks she's a vampire. That's the right. whole beginning where he thinks she's escaped from his coffin. And then she's like, and then he, he realizes that she's not. They open the coffin and there she is, of course, with the dark wig. That's how you can tell the difference, at least until things get really weird, until it becomes a Three's Company episode. When, you know, our good girl, who's not really good, is blonde and our vampire is dark haired. But again, why would this German caretaker, okay, Joe's obviously an idiot, why, if he knew she was a vampire and knew she can get up, why the fuck wouldn't he kill her? That whole sequence just confused the hell out of me in the cinema sense moment. I'm like, this makes no fucking sense. It, it doesn't. I think he's felt safe enough because her sarcophagus down in the crypt 
is locked with padlocks and steel bands across it to prevent it from being opened. He hands her the key to that when she wants it. They open it up. Her her body is completely unspoiled. Not only does she look alive, but the actress is breathing and they're not even really trying to hide it. So, yeah, that whole sequence seems like it would pose a lot of questions and they are troubled by none of it. The monk I mentioned earlier wanders into the woods and starts hallucinating genitals. And then, oh, then God, the bush, <laughs> that one bush, or the one then, plant with those obvious. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then, then grandma shows up, dark hair, fur coat, and she proceeds to prick tease the friar until his franks and beans are boiling. Then she invites him to, up to the castle to sit side by side with her in the chapel after dark, and tells him to bring a red rose. So I, wait a minute, I, wait a minute, wait a minute. I hate to confuse your already confusion, but that wasn't the, that wasn't um vampire. Yeah, oh, I forgot to mention, right, that uh, Betty has a dark wig that she likes to wear sometimes for no good reason. Yes. So, yes. So, remember, so yeah. it was actually Betty who was doing the grand cock tease. <laughs> okay. Are you sure? Because the rose is grandma's thing. That's how they oh, identify her. Okay, see, that's okay. Now I'm confused because I swear to God, I thought she was just doing that because when he said, I thought we were going to go and sit by the blah, blah, blah when he meets the vampire, she didn't understand what he was talking about. I honestly thought that it was the blonde at first, and then when he showed up at the house, he met the vampire. Well, I don't know. They keep switching wigs and personalities so often. For all I know, she could be fucking Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man. Well, they switch personality. They've really only got one, and they have to share it. And eventually, they just kind of break it in half. Okay, point taken. That, that is a valid point. Yeah, so whoever it was tells him to come to the chapel at midnight and bring a rose. So I guess he just got cast on The Bachelor. Kudos to him. Then she goes and sexually harasses the handyman fixing her bathtub. Whoever Betty was prick-teasing, she's blonde again. And she also decides to dress up like an Italian widow and goes down the family crypt and breaks into Mark Grandma's marble sarcophagus. And as we said, Grandma's not only not been devoured by worms, her makeup isn't even smudged, and she's nope. breathing quite vigorously. So I guess while she went along with her funeral to make her family happy, it's clear her heart wasn't in it. <laughs> that is very true. That but Betty gasps, true. runs out, while Grandma rises out of the coffin, grimacing helpfully so we can see her fangs. They're, you know, they're, they're a nice Halloween store fang. Those are the fang. We'll get we'll get to fangs a little, a little later on, yeah. but yeah, her fangs are too bad. Her her fangs are nice. Later, Friar Friar down to fuck sneaks into the castle grounds. Well, while Betty is putting on her makeup and and Great Grandma is slinking around, Great Grandma lights a candle with a witch like snap of her fingers, then starts filling the tub. Man, it's like if you're that old and you get into water, just what kind of tea are you going to make? You're just going to make like formaldehyde <laughs> tea. But uh, meanwhile, Betty is wearing a painfully shocking pink gown and reading Dracula in case things got too subtle for you there for a second. So Brother the Bachelor arrives for his mortal sin appointment. Let's see if we can figure it out who's who. Betty is upstairs waiting for him. So so I guess that was her who invited him. But he's intercepted on the way by Grandma, who bites him on the carotid and drains him dry in about 10 seconds. But... She's been in that coffin for a long time. She must have been thirsty. Joseph, meanwhile, takes Betty downstairs to stake Grandma through the heart before she has time to exsanguinate the monk. 
Alas, Grandma is already out hunting. She's done it. She's moved on. So they go out to search for her. And as soon as their back is or turns, Grandma comes staggering home, blood drunk, off her ass, and slides into the coffin. Then she squeaks and tosses out the gigantic wooden stake, grumbling, <laughs> damn amateur vampire hunters. And while I, I know this movie thinks it's a comedy, this is one of the few times I would agree with it. That wasn't bad. That was okay. Uh, but then my, my standards have gotten very low. And we're only like half an hour into it. So. <laughs> We also can't forget, not only is there a, um, a seminary, but there's also relatively close a girls' school. Right, a convent school is right on the other side, so it's bracketed. The, the, the castle is, is between two ecclesiastical institutions, which seems like an odd place for a vampire to live. I mean, if they fear crosses... Hey, if if there can be a werewolf in a girl's dormitory, there can be a vampire stuck between a church and a hard place. There cannot be a werewolf in a girl's dormitory. I know there's a title that insists that is possible. I disagree. <laughs> but what gets me is if vampires fear crosses, any kind of uh, Christian iconography or symbology, what kind of idiot, undead, buys the castle situated smack dab between a monastery and a convent? I mean, I guess it was close to schools and shopping. So it's got that going for it. And I'm sure it, 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 they wrote it up nicely on Zillow. But when Lugosi's Dracula moved into Carfax Abbey, he did it with a smirk. And you got the sense like being an unholy, undead abomination living on hallowed ground was kind of his kink. He just liked dirtying it up. Oh, speaking of which, we find this out at the monk's funeral, during which the schoolgirls and the young novitiates of the seminary I fuck the crap out of each other over his grave. So it's a bit irreligious, perhaps. But uh, you know, it's it's German. They're they're all uh, thesis nailing heretics at heart. You know, they're they're all Martin Luthers. We dig down. We dig down deep. So a rainstorm hits the funeral, and a teacher from the girls' school, whose name I refuse to learn, and I'm not going to use. He pulls a Sir Walter Raleigh and gives his coat to Betty. In gratitude, she drives him back to her castle for tea. And I assume this guy is being introduced in a rainstorm because he himself is a bit of a drip. He's stuttering. He's clammy. No game at all. But it's 35 minutes into the film, so it's time to abandon all hope. Ye who enter here, because this guy's going to be our hero. If that word even applies, and I'm not sure it does. And he is going to enter here, or her at least. <clears throat> Very true. Yeah, drop, lop that last E off because it becomes literally true. Very shortly. Betty goes upstairs to change out of her wet funeral togs and put on a bathroom and grandma's wig for some reason. Betty and the teacher have sex, although he spends most of it lying there like a corpse. So I guess he read ahead in the script. He's just... <laughs> He's just trying to fit in. Meanwhile, Joseph takes Grandma's perfectly preserved corpse, her breathing corpse, and nails her up in a packing crate and sinks her in the middle of the lake. Except he screws up somehow, and then and she gets out and just sort of bops around the castle grounds barefoot like she suddenly booked a Kotex commercial. It gets super confusing here. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I missed something, I think, because I genuinely don't know how she got out of there. Yeah, I missed something too, and I was watching it. So what I missed was not there. 
The film, the film was okay. missing. Then I don't feel bad. I, I don't, don't feel, feel bad. good. No, no, no. This is none of this is our fault. We have to understand we're the victims here. But are we in fact? Well, okay, you're a victim, but I mean, I don't know if I can call myself victim since I willfully said let's do this. Now this is more of a murder suicide. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess. So I guess. Okay. So does that mean you're Ava and I'm Adolf? <laughs> Uh, I, I I wasn't gonna go right to the Nazi comparison, but uh, we we are we are we are we are knee deep in Germania here, so uh, I guess that's fine. Sure, hey, I'll be not, I'll be Ava. YouTube, we are not on YouTube, so we can say Nazi, and not have to worry about it. Right? Yeah, I'll I'll be Ava. I mean, there's plenty of wigs lying around, so if I get bored, I'll have something to do. Then the you can t- be Ava's great great granddaughter too. There you go. There you go. That's how much range I have. Versatility is the word they use for me. Just don't shave the beard. Just don't shave the beard, exactly. I, I, either one, up top or down <laughs> below. So the teacher bangs the Baroness all night, then he sneaks back into school the next day, and two girls act up in class and get sent to their room by the stern headmistress, where they probably get naked and get busy with those young men they might have been the seminarians, but they're dressed in a way that they appear to be Carnaby Street models if Carnaby Street sold its fashion-forward clothing through the Sears catalog. And then when they sneak away afterwards, post-coatally, the naked girls wave to them from the window and get peeped on through a telescope by the abbot, and then the girls hear someone coming and scamper off, and the prudish headmistress appears in the window, causing the abbot to snarl, Ach! They have to ship that dyke back to Holland. So uh, I guess I guess in addition to, to uh, teaching and running a girls' academy, she's also a Waller embankment used for flood control purposes in the Netherlands. I'm assuming that's what that joke means. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that's where I'm going with it. Grandma comes to Joseph's room that night to kill him in his sleep, but he's decorated his headboard with garlands of garlic, so... That scene goes absolutely nowhere. Meanwhile, the dead horny monk arises from the grave, his fangs rampant, and goes looking for victims. And while trying to climb into the convent school, we get to see his full naked ass. So don't think your ticket price went totally down the toilet. Oh, and we should say that well, before he became a vampire... Granted, he was very much a, oh, um, saints and ministers of grace defend us. Oh, keep your wantonness away from me. He was very, you know, he was it was over the top, but he was very religious and pure person. Now that he's a vampire, he's become a giggling, psychotic idiot. Yeah, who just wants to squeeze boobs. And he's basically like if you somehow crossed Caligula with Ed Wynn. I was going to say Edwin and Stifler, but that works too. Yeah, well, either one, I guess. I'm terrible. going for more modern. I <laughs> the, the, the the film Stifler was in actually had stuff that was funny. So Point taken. That Okay, good point. Okay, I got He's Carrot Top. Oh, there you go. All right. Good enough. <laughs> there you go. Okay, that's it. The monk in this movie, in, in the reboot, should be played by Carrot Top. That should tell you everything you need to know right there. Uh, meanwhile, the abbot who goggled at the girls, is praying to the monastery's patron, St. Arutmev, which the, the abbot only belatedly now, after how many years of service, realizes is vampire, spelled backwards. This is perhaps the stupidest oh, yeah. moment in the movie. 
But keep listening because it may top itself. You don't know. Yeah, so meanwhile, Carrot Top, the monk, goes into the girls' rooms and pulls off their bedclothes so we can all enjoy their pre-boob job nudity. And uh, back at the castle, Grandma is in Betty's room where she borrows a dress and a blonde wig. Betty is strapped with wigs. She came prepared. So things are about to get wacky. Posing as the current Baroness, she goes into the abbot's room and bites him. That can't have been pleasant because he's a toad-like man, but whatever. I'm sure her husband had it in her contract that she could only bite ugly toad-like men. Grandma goes back to the castle to play with Betty's wig collection again, but then Betty and the teacher return to the castle moments later, so now now it's going to get wacky. Joseph puts on a medieval helmet so nobody can bite his neck and decides he's going to stab one of them bitches, but which one? He doesn't care. He's just going to kill one of them at this point. At this point, you get the sense he really doesn't care. So Betty is taking a bath while, unbeknownst to the teacher, he's pitching woo to great-grandma, who gets bored with his sweet nothings and hypnotizes him so he'll shut up, which immediately put me on her side. She's my favorite character. Um, (laughs) She's about to drain his blood when his hypnotized hands feebly rub her ass and suddenly she remembers, oh yeah, sex. Sex is a thing. Forgot about that. Joseph sees this foreplay and figures Grandma is actually the Baroness because Grandma would already, and I quote, be sucking him by now. So he decides to go stake Betty in the bathtub, uh, but he can't because he's wearing a stupid helmet and can't see anything, which is something that happened all the time in Star Wars to the Stormtroopers and makes me suspect this film had a profound influence on a young George Lucas. (laughs) So Grandma slips out of bed after exhausting the teacher of his vital manly essence. Then Betty, fresh from the bath, slips into bed and tries to get some action. And instead we get some low comedy about how his penis is depleted. Uh, Grandma can't bite Joseph on the neck because of his stupid helmet. So she dumps him in the well. But the teacher rescues him and Joseph talks him into staking Grandma through the heart in her coffin. And he, he tries, but he's just too much of a pussy. Instead, he determines to wait by her coffin until sunset, and if she emerges, then he'll stake her. But he falls asleep. Meanwhile, Baroness Betty has been invited to an aristocratic shindig at Schloss Dritter Act, or Castle Third Act, in English. (laughs) It's a costume ball, so she puts on her black wig and a blood-red gown and decides to go as her own grandma, I guess. Meanwhile, Grandma also knows about the party for some reason, and she dons the blonde wig and a virginal white dress and decides to go as Betty. This thing keeps wanting to turn into a crazy door-slamming Fado farce, but it's frankly less Fado than just fat. Outside Schloss Acht, we see Caratop and uh, the dead abbot and a bunch of random dead day players shambling toward the party, attracted, no doubt, by the EDM harpsichord music. So I guess this is the vampire happening. I would Finally. say yes. This is this is the happening, and I gotta go real fast here. Now, the the, the fangs on our lead aren't bad. The no. fangs on you know who I'm talking about mm-hmm. are not as good as hers, but they're still acceptable. The abbot's fangs are kind of acceptable. The party guests. Uh, oh. <laughs> How can we describe the party guest's fangs? Um, the party guest's pe- fangs are pure party store. 
Yes, they are. I, I swear to God, there was a shot. I, 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 I was going to rewatch the scene to try and like see if I saw this correctly, but I didn't want to rewatch the scene, so I didn't. But I swear there is a scene in the actual titular happening where a vampire's fangs actually shift in her mouth and she moves her, she moves her hand up to like fix them. Yes, yes. It looks, and I didn't freeze frame to check this out, but it looks like they depleted the party store and had to go to like a five and dime to get those children's size wax fangs that they have with the other impulse item candies by the cash register. And frankly, you know, it doesn't look great. They're smallish, so ill-fitting, a little discolored, and then sort of melting in their mouths, not in their necks. So it's, uh, it's not a great look. But there's also a lot of boobs out at this party. Hang on real fast. But in addition to the boobs, there was not also the five and dime fangs. There were a few people that actually had the penny fangs where it looked like they just took a couple of small straws in their mouth. Oh, that's true. There were some really bad ones and, and some some that were the opposite. You know how vampire fangs top down? They're always in the, their top two incisors. Yes. And with werewolves, they've always got the, the bottom row of fangs. So they've got the underbite. Mm-hmm. So somebody tried to wear werewolf fangs on the top, and they just don't fit that way. Because then you get an overbite, and you look goofy. And you look there like... are a lot of people who look really, really goofy in this scene. But as you said, there are tits. There, there are tits aplenty, so at least there's something to look at. Well, so as, you, as you mentioned, yeah. 30... Yeah, but you're not above... I, mean, I can you, look you... at them, but they don't do anything for me. I'm just like, I know, oh, I know. Well. Look. They didn't do much for me either because they were on day players in a bad movie. This, this that, does that not is get true. And these that were does... also and these are also seventies breasts, so that was a different time, and those were different breasts. They were very, very true. Not, you know, I, I'm I'm fine. I I you know I trained as a historian, so I'm I'm fine taking historical boobs on on their own terms, judging them by their own standards. So er, everything was fine, but it's just they were in this movie. They were boobs, but they were in this movie. There was no way to enjoy these boobs. But I give the movie credit for putting them there. It seemed like a, a hollow, weak gesture, and I appreciated it. So, as you said, Ferdy Main shows up as Dracula. And we know this because everyone says, Dracula, when he shows up. And he, he arrives in a helicopter sporting the same goofy bat logo from the opening credits. So, Hang on real fast. You, 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 will, you and other MST3K fans will appreciate this. When everybody was announcing Dracula, mm -hmm. all I could think was Cabot, Cabot, Cabot. 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 Uh, oh, it's a different Cabot. Yes. And, and so he gets off and, and he's like Khrushchev arriving at Idlewild. There's there's a, a vampire child who presents him with a bouquet of eyeballs and then yeah. and then and then bites his finger because her permanent fangs just came in. It's it's German comedy at its best. Anyway, so let's not lose thread of what passes for the plot. Betty and Grandma are both at the same party dressed as each other Wackiness has to ensue. But Grandma immediately gets buttonholed by Dracula and reamed for having sex. The worst kind of sex. Human sex. Although Dracula was just leering at the topless bartender's boobs, so I call hypocrisy. Man, all I can tell you is the movie's winding down here. The teacher and Joseph arrive. Joseph goes up to set the clock back so the vampires get caught in the morning light. And that happens, but really by that point, nobody gives a shit. Um... The whole thing is just sort of collapsing into confusion. And my strongest urge at this moment, and, and I think everyone in the audience feels the same way, 
I just want the movie to end. But the interesting thing yeah. is, I get a sense that because of the listless way the movie's just kind of going through the motions here, the movie wants itself to end, which which makes this the first film I've ever seen that suffers from suicidal ideation. And 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 I know this doesn't reflect well on me, but I am not giving it the suicide hotline. I'm just going to let events take their course. But anyway, suicidal ideation is a known side effect, so ask your doctor if vampire happening is right for you. Uh, anyway, all the vampires get turned to dust except Grandma, because Joseph and the teacher, idiots all throughout the movie, continue their streak unbroken, decide that's Betty for some reason never trying to like take the wig off to see if it's she's blonde underneath they just put her in a crate and they ship her to hollywood so she can be buried there and uh instead she arrives at night and it's like the beatles are there except people are holding picket signs that say yay betty and things like you know the, the kind of things that fans hold up um, betty, i do remember that sign yes <laughs> and uh so she's going to take over Betty's career, I guess. Well, because remember after because remember, we do know that because after they sent um, what they thought was Betty back to Hollywood, which they could be buried. Betty showed up at the airport where, where yeah. they were. Like, yeah. Wait, you're not dead. We didn't but, send you. Ha ha. It's not you. So they all go, you know, her and teacher and Joseph all leave the airport laughing hysterically that she's alive, completely forgetting the fact that they sent a vampire to Hollywood. And what I love about that scene I mean, everything is dubbed in it, obviously, but it's dubbed super badly at this point because they stole this shot. So I'm sure they couldn't get or had a trouble getting a permit to shoot. So they stole this shot. It's oh, shot yeah. without sound. And because oh, yeah. the actors and the actors are at the bottom of a staircase, quite some distance away, and it's only the voices of the actors doing the dub that let us know who they are. And the guy playing the teacher, especially, knew the camera was some distance away. So his gestures get enormously broad. And, okay, I have another question to ask you. Did you notice this, or am I just insane and looking for something I didn't see? As they were walking out of the airport, were they skipping? Because I swear to God, once she shows up and they're all like, oh, you're still alive. I love you. We love you all. Yay. Ha ha. And they all start walking. I swear to God, they skip out. I wanted to skip out way before that point. Um, I understand that completely. But I if they skipped, and I'm not sure they didn't skip. In fact, that would have been in keeping with this film's sense of humor. That's why I'm thinking I saw it. I may actually go back and watch the ending just to see if they did skip, because I remember that. I could not stop laughing about that when I watched it. Did you notice there were no end credits? There was end credit music, but it just went to black. Oh, yeah, here she is. Honestly, no, I didn't. I yeah, sort of like once. Once the lady did the. Um, so I'm watching the very end here, and she, when she runs in, she runs in a very odd way that almost looks like skipping. But, uh. <laughs> oh, yeah, big, gigantic, big gestures. He runs into her. He's pointing. He's spinning around. They're all making big hands. They're pointing. Because they don't even know if, any, if there's going to be dialogue here. Okay, here they go. No skipping yet. Okay. Wait, no, wait. No, no, they're doing... Jesus! They're doing... They are doing the... We're off to see the wizard. 
every okay. third step skip. That's what it is. I knew they were doing something. Okay, I didn't lose my mind. Okay, good. Good, 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 good. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, fascinating, irritating. <laughs> <laughs> he said plaintively. Lisa, I want no more. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I pulled a reverse Oliver Twist. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want yeah, You start. Okay. I don't even know if this qualifies as fascinating, but I did find it hilarious. When we get to our first actual sex scene, you know, there's boobs aplenty early on. But when we get to our first actual rutting in the film between Betty and the teacher, she lifts his hand and places it on her small breast. Then we hard cut to the topless portrait of Grandma and zoom in on the breasts as if to say, yes, these are the same as those. <laughs> so I guess it is it is fascinating because while I've seen lots of fingerprints decide a case in a police procedural, this is the first time I've seen tit identification used as a plot point. Irritating. Not, not much happens in Vampire Happening. As you said, it was a super simple plot that they still fucked up somehow. But um, I will I will say this for it. Let me go out on a positive note. It's a better Christmas movie than Die Hard. It, it ends with great-grandma the vampire landing in L.A. to the tune of O. Tannenbaum, just in case you forgot this was a West German film. And uh, there you go. There you go. Make Make it a holiday tradition, people. Vampire happening. After you've had Christmas dinner, had the family gather in the living room, pop this on. That'll make you popular. <laughs> Not sure with who, but okay. Um, my fascinating, I guess, is I think it's, I just think it's funny that now, granted, you mentioned some of his lesser films, but Freddie Francis also worked on. Um, Oh, God, I think it was Taste the Blood of Dracula. He worked on some of the better, you know, Hammer films, for, as well as some of the crappier ones. But it's just, I just, it just amazes me that, that, that this guy who's you know, well-known as a Hammer director made this fucked up. I mean, visually, it was kind of interesting. I mean, the castle was very Hammer-esque in the look. Yes, the setting is terrific. I mean, it looked great. I just thought it was hysterical that a man, you know, who, who, was, who was not famous, but known for creating these, you know, atmospheric, at the time, you know, spooky horror films. One of the last films in his career was this freaky-ass little weird tit-filled vampire comedy. I just, I just found that amusing. Well, I think he's more celebrated, really. And, and, and this could be wrong. I'm not plugged into the Hammer demimonde. So... Maybe he is considered one of the giants, but I've been more impressed by his work as a cinematographer. He shot The Elephant Man. That's right. That's right. He, sh he shot Glory. Um, he shot the. Oh, he shot Glory. Yeah, he shot the De Niro Cape Fear. Okay. Um, okay. And, That's what uh, I thought. I, mean, I knew the guy had done some. Uh, had done some really, really incredible work. He <laughs> did. Seventy one. His directing it turned into mostly TV work after. Right. The, the 70s, which is fine. Again, we, we don't judge people by their least efforts, but we certainly know them by their least efforts because that's the funniest thing. But, I mean, he, he knew it was a piece of crap. He made it. It's it's not good, but no. it's recognizable. You know, I, I do like the fact that even he said, like, like I said in that quote, I have nothing positive to say about this. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it was, it was a job. He, he did it. 
somebody who's worked on films I wouldn't brag about. If you do your job and, and at least make it better than it was, you can take some satisfaction and feel like you didn't steal your paycheck. And right. as, as not great as this was, this could have been so much worse. Oh, God. Pick almost any mid-60s spy spoof from Europe at random. Those things are god-awful. Yep. Yep. Or any Dracula porn from the 70s. Also awful. I really need to get into that. I haven't seen... It's a big blank spot in my, my film knowledge. Dracula as a film, Yeah, as a film scholar, I, I feel like it's a, it's a lacunae, and I should film well, it. I will, I, will, I will send you a list. We definitely have to improve your education on this. And my irritating thing is... It should be pretty obvious what the irritating thing is, but allow me to give you a hint. I think yep. that explains everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sums it up nicely. I hated him so much. Flames on the side of my face, breathing, heaving breath, heaving breath. I hated him that much. I can quote Clue and mean it. That should tell you how much I hate him. That wasn't a reference. I actually set my beard on fire. The hatred was so bad watching this film. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I can stand boredom easier than I can stand bad comic relief. Attempted comedy is so much worse than attempted drama. There's something painful about failed comedy, especially when they just keep doubling down on it. Because he, he did that shtick all through the last two-thirds of the film, and at not one point did it work. Even showing his whole ass didn't help. It only made me sadder. Yes, yes, indeed. It's just, yeah. (laughs) So, on the plus side, we've now officially watched this, so you never have to. (laughs) Unless you want to see some random 1970s tits, go have fun. You might might get a semi, but I doubt it. (laughs) I don't think you get a quarter with this movie. (laughs) No. I mean, if you really want to look at early tits, you could skip this film and watch. Oh, what was the one? What was that Italian one we saw? Oh, the, 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 what you call it in the vampire, the the strippers in the vampire. Oh, uh, uh, Showgirls and the Vampire. Showgirls and the Vampire. Yes. We did that movie. That was Italian. Now it was black and white. So the breasts, of course, will accordingly be monotoned. However, two breasts, monotone. It's almost like having a three-strip color sequence. Mathematically, it works out. Anyway. You can make things even easier on yourself and just go to Pornhub. <laughs> I'm not here to make things easy on them. If I was here to make things easy on them, we, we, we wouldn't have been making people listen to two-hour-long podcasts back in the early days. That is a point taken. And on that note, that was very nicely timed, by the way, Scott. Want well, to thank you all folks for once again listening to us on the Slumgullion, America's only podcast. We'll be back soon. My name is Jeff. His name is Scott. And oh, before we go, I just want to say, I've said it on Twitter, I'll say it here. If we don't get one whole fucking song from Rogers the Musical and Hawkeye, I am going to be so <laughs> pissed. We'll see you later. Seconded. Don't do that. Don't. Do that, bitch.